Hey there, I'm Amy, and welcome to the podcast, Fearlessly Facing 50. This podcast is about conversations and connections, and my mission is to encourage women over 40 to live their best life. You know what, ladies, we haven't peaked yet, and we are just getting started. So if you're ready for some real talk with real people and real conversations about what really matters, you found the right place. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's get started. Let's get real. Hey there, I'm Amy and welcome to Fearlessly Facing 50. I'm so happy that you joined the episode today and are listening because today's episode is something that a lot of women are really going to think about and identify with. It's an episode that I recorded about a month ago, and it's been in the queue, and I've been anxious to release it because there is so much good information that Diane will be sharing. Before we get to that interview, I just want to thank you for taking time to listen to Fearlessly Facing 50. I hope that you're making time over this busy holiday season to take time for yourself and really take in the joy that the holidays can bring. You know, if there's somebody out there that you know is struggling this holiday season, whether with a recent loss or a recent diagnosis, or you know that, you know, it's just a little bit more of a difficult time, I encourage you just to take a minute and invite them for coffee or shoot them a text. Just be the light for them that they may need this holiday season. So now I'm going to turn it over to our interview with Diane Wingert. And Diane is a life strategist and a mentor for women who identify with ADHD or ADD, whether they're officially diagnosed or not. And during her 20-year career as a licensed therapist, she has seen far too many brilliant and capable women struggle with impulsivity and perfectionism and procrastination and self-doubt that really held them back from expressing their gifts to the world. So today in this interview with Diane, it's Open your heart to just to Diane's message and take a listen to her diagnosis and how she's navigated this journey with ADHD as an adult. So enjoy the show. Diane Wingert and just her story and her journey. And, you know, when you think about hearing the diagnosis of ADHD for your child or a loved one, you know, just think about that for a minute, how difficult that is to process. But now think about being diagnosed at 60 with ADHD, learning this about yourself. It's time to put that question to rest and learn from this incredible, inspiring woman that I have connected with. Diane, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here and to tell your listeners everything they might want or need to know about ADHD at midlife. I think that's just right there. That's just, that's incredible. Just, just saying that ADHD at midlife. So we're going to get into it. So, so for people out there listening, let's just get a picture of Diane. So share your story and a little bit about your discovery and diagnosis of ADHD as an adult. Well, I was either the last to know, or I, I like to say now, Amy, that I was hiding in plain sight the whole time. Sure. Uh, 
there were clues. There were always clues. And if anyone has the idea that you can acquire ADHD or become ADHD as an adult, it's actually impossible. If you have ADHD or ADD, it's the same thing. You've always had it. Sure. But and I'll explain in a few minutes why you're more likely to be diagnosed uh, during perimenopause or menopause than at any time before. But I always knew I was different. I knew I was different from the time I was a little kid, but I didn't know why. I knew that I had to sit in the front row in my classes, uh, both because I needed glasses and I didn't want to wear them, but sure. also <laughs> because if I sat in the middle or in the back, I was far too preoccupied with what the other kids were doing and not paying attention to the teacher. So they always parked me right up front. I would do a great job on my homework and then forget to bring it with me to class. Right. I did a lot of interrupting um, when teachers were teaching and I knew the answer. I would just blurt it out and forget to raise my hand. Um, I had a hard time waiting in lines. I was um, forgetful. I was disorganized, I was very distractible, and I've always had a huge amount of energy. So I tend to do a lot at once, keep myself very, very busy, and keep my life really sort of overscheduled to the max. And the max, I, yeah. I knew it was different, um, and a lot of people would say, wow, you really do a lot. But I, I just thought it was either a personality trait or temperament or I just didn't know what it was. I knew it wasn't how most people were, but I didn't know it was ADHD. And I have three adult children. Yeah. Right. The, old, the oldest was diagnosed, a boy was diagnosed uh, at the age of eight. And by that time it was in the early nineties. And at that point in time, the only humans that were being identified with ADHD were hyperactive little boys. Sure. Girl, girls weren't even on the horizon and no adults of either gender. It just wasn't part of the discussion until much, much later. Yeah, that's so interesting. Cause you know, when you think back to growing up in the sixties or the seventies, I mean, I can think back to my kindergarten class with a boy, his name, last name started with W, mine did at the time. And, you know, he was, the teacher was constantly saying, you know, Danny, stop fidgeting. Danny, stop sniffing the Elmer's glue. Danny, stop <laughs> doing that. You know, I mean, yep. it was, it was that constant thing. Yes. And, but it was, it was never, so it's always been there for you. I mean, you, you've always had ADHD. This isn't something that, oh my gosh, at, you know, at, at 60, you were like, oh, I, no, I need that no, label. no, 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 no. Right. No, I mean, I always knew that I had a lot of energy. I always knew that I tended to keep my life very busy, very packed, overscheduled. I would just leave the minimum amount of time before I would get in the car to go somewhere. And it was kind of like exciting and fun for me to see if I would make it. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, um, but I should say this, that most women who end up being identified with ADHD or who strongly suspect they are, and they may even refer to themselves in conversation, oh, my ADD is acting up, or oh, I'm so ADD. You yeah. hear that all the time now? Oh, you now? hear it all the time. Yeah. All the time. And, you know, I should say um, that culture does not induce ADD, and you technology does not induce ADD. However, in our modern culture with you know, so much information available and so many opportunities to be informed, to be entertained, to frankly distract ourselves constantly right. with our devices and games and all that. A lot more people 
are appearing as though they have ADD because of the impact of technology. However, yeah, sure. if you genuinely are, you always have been. What's a little bit different about me, Amy, than other women, and maybe some women who are even listening to right. this episode, most women with ADHD, ADD, tend to be the subtype that is more inattentive and distractible. So they may not be hyperactive at all. They might be disorganized, they might be forgetful, they might be dreamy, they might drift off in conversation and when they're asked a question say, huh? They didn't even realize they were drifting yeah. off. Yep. So, you know, the hyperactive part is one of the symptoms, but there's three different types of ADD and only one of them has the hyperactive component. And that does tend to be more boys and men. So as a, a girl who was very, very active, what would have been great for me is to get into competitive sports. But sure. that didn't that didn't happen. So when you're not getting enough movement in your life and you are hyperactive, you do fidget like your young friend in school did. Yeah, yeah, Danny. And now he's a very successful physician, I, I must say, because I, but I just remember that, you know, always saying stop fidgeting, pay attention, you know, all of that stuff. And it was classic ADD, ADHD, and we just and never I, talked about a, it. No, in a young boy. And by the way, do you happen to know what kind of physician he is? Internal medicine. Interesting. I would have guessed emergency room. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. ICU or surgery. Because yeah. and, and here's another thing. So many people don't understand. A lot of people with ADHD have average intelligence, but many are highly intelligent and right. can achieve tremendous things with a lot of education required. And people think, wait a second, how could that little boy have had a hard time sitting still become a successful physician? Because with ADHD, it's all about interest. Yeah. When we find something we're interested in, we can pursue it like the rest of the world doesn't even exist. And that often leads to success. Yeah, interesting. That's very interesting. Well said. Um, when you also think, you know, and you've been a, you were a practicing psychotherapist for years. Um, you were diagnosed, I guess, post-menopause. Right. And, you know, and I know you're also an expert on menopause. We're going to have another episode when we talk to Diane about that. But when you look back at those years now of perimenopause and menopause, how, you know, and, and having ADHD, but not the diagnosis at that point, but you know, how, how did your, well, how, what was different, do you think, for you at yeah, that stage of life? Such a good question. Um, I, I, I had all these behaviors, I had these traits all of my life, and I just knew they were different. And believe it or not, even though I'm pretty smart and very educated, I still didn't think I was ADD or ADHD, even after my son was diagnosed at eight and my daughter was diagnosed with the inattentive, distractible type of ADD much later in college. Wow. Now, by that time, it was in the early 2000s, and we were beginning to identify ADHD in adults. It had finally made it into the Psychiatric Diagnostic Bible, the DSM-5. In 2000? Okay. Yes, wow. yes. So I was in graduate school in the early 90s, and I was working with children with ADHD at UCLA Neuropsych Institute. Only ones being identified at that point were little boys. We were not talking about adults, we were not talking about girls. Fast forward to the year 2000, 
it's now understood that ADHD doesn't go away. You don't outgrow it by the time you're a teenager or an adult the way we used to think. So now we're starting to notice the little girl that's sitting quietly in her seat, she's not hyperactive, she's not impulsive, she's not disturbing other kids, she's not blurting out things. She is quietly underachieving, even though she may be highly intelligent. Why? Because she has a hard time focusing. She has a hard Mm -hmm. time organizing her materials. She is forgetful. So once we started identifying little girls and women, it started to open up the possibilities. Now, fast forward to perimenopause and menopause. Right. Um, I honestly don't think I ever would have been diagnosed if I hadn't gone through menopause. And what I mean by that is that Mm. I've now come to know that, you know, you may be struggling along through life with both the superpowers and the challenges of ADD, ADHD. But, But once you start to go into perimenopause and menopause, what you discover is that your symptoms get worse. And, uh, in some cases quite a bit worse. Now the, the scientific reason for that is because estrogen has a beneficial effect on the production of dopamine. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter that is in short supply for a person with ADHD. We don't make enough dopamine and what we dopamine. make hmm, dopamine, the, the reward uh, chemical. So because we don't, we don't make enough dopamine, unless we're feeling rewarded by whatever it is we're paying attention to, we'll drift off. So when someone is really, really, really interested in something, fascinated by something, engaged with something, curious about something, or it just tickles their fancy, they can focus endlessly. It's called hyperfocus. But if it's not fascinating to them, they drift off. Well, estrogen, as it turns out, drops by at least 65% as we start. 65. 65% as we start through the process of perimenopause. And when that happens, the woman with ADD, ADHD, who already doesn't make enough dopamine and her brain doesn't distribute it as well as it should, now she's, she's really in trouble. So I would hear from women, they, they would say, I've got to make an appointment with a neurologist because I swear I have early onset Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, Everybody talks about like brain fog, walking into a room, they don't have any recollection of why they're there. They forget what they're talking about in conversation. And and it's never happened to them before. So they think either I have some kind of a, you know, a dementia problem, or I have adult onset ADHD. No, what's happening is that Your brain was already low in dopamine, and now thanks to what I call the estrogen evacuation, it's even lower, (laughs) so your symptoms get way worse. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's really interesting. I I did not realize that, so that's going to be eye-opening for a lot of people. I love what you just said about superpowers and challenges. I love that. Kind of talking about superpowers and challenges, what about when you had this diagnosis okay and were you transparent about it with your friends and and did they treat you differently or did somebody say hey Diane you're off like have you had that told to you from peers you know up to you know all through your life well I've had a lot of feedback about my what's different about me Um, some of the things I've heard throughout my life and actually 
my mother passed away a couple of years ago, but before she did, and we were going through her things and anticipating her passing, I came across one of my early report cards that I had never seen, second grade, I believe it was, and said, um, Diane's very bright, but she won't learn anything unless you tie her to the chair. Now, (laughs) and I'm like, why didn't my parents get me into sports? Which, by the way, a lot of really successful athletes, including Michael Phelps, for one, yeah, um, yeah, have ADHD, and it's because you know the the exercise is extremely, extremely helpful. Um, so I always knew there was something different. I talk a lot, which you can probably tell, and I'm I talk loud. I move very fast. Um, Do you? You move really fast. Okay. I move fast. I'm always on the go. Um, I am thought of as being very driven, very ambitious. And all of this is related to the ADHD because my brain doesn't make enough of the reward chemical. So I need to always challenge myself in order to keep moving forward. But the thing is, is that people would say, you're so ambitious or you're so energetic. Superpowers. Yeah. Yeah, or, or superpowers. People, yeah. But, or people would say, you're always so passionate about everything or you're always doing something new, which is true because I can't tolerate boredom as well as the average person. So yeah. there's always yeah. been feedback. But when I actually got the diagnosis, by this time, my oldest son had been diagnosed for many years. My daughter had been diagnosed for a number of years. And I had, this is really pertinent too, I had been seen at various points in my adult life by different therapists and different psychiatrists because I had gone through several episodes of significant depression. Mm. And so I would see a psychiatrist, I would get on an antidepressant, I would get okay. some therapy eventually, you know, when you go through a divorce or something serious like that, I would, I would really, you know, take it hard. And so um, I would get treatment and I would get better. Now you would think over all these years with all these different psychiatrists and therapists that maybe one of them would have raised the issue of ADHD. Here's what's fascinating, Amy. Um, There is no training in how to recognize ADD in an adult even for psychiatrists. It is not part of their medical training. It is not part of the training. I was a therapist for 20 years. There was no, there is no, there isn't even any training for someone to take after they're licensed. It just doesn't exist. And the reason why is this is such a new uh, emerging issue. The number of people who are being diagnosed with ADHD as adults is on the increase, but the most rapidly growing group is women over 40. And the reason why, yes, because there's two reasons. One, we've always known there's something different about us. Um, Like you might be really smart. Like here's a perfect example. I used to be in sales. My first career was in sales. Okay. Medical sales. So I would be riding along with my district manager. I would go into the appointment with the physician, make a killer sales presentation, just knock everybody's socks off, impress the heck out of my my boss and then we'd walk outside and I couldn't remember where I parked my car and I could wander around for 20 minutes. So in fact, this is so embarrassing, but one time I actually had to search for my car for an hour and I called the police to report it stolen when in fact I had just parked it in a different lot and I just didn't remember. So that, that's, and so you think I'm, there's something wrong with me, but, um, 
when I told people, now I'm, I'm self-employed now for the last 10 years. Okay. Um, but when I think back through my career, the kind of feedback I got without knowing I was ADHD was I was too, I wasn't good at following directions. I wanted to always be in charge. Um, I, you know, wanted to do things my way. And so you might think, well, this person's just bossy or this person yeah, yeah. narcissistic or whatever. But it was actually because I couldn't, I couldn't follow someone that wasn't doing things in a way that made sense to me. So I had to do it my way. And that can get you a reputation as being rebellious, obstinate. Yeah. I had a, a boss tell me once that I was flippant. And the reason why is that I'm, I'm very direct. And I had to learn that it that's not always the best course of action. So when I, I kind of came out in a way, after, yeah, yeah. after the official diagnosis, which by the way, if anyone listening is thinking, gosh, I think this sounds like me. Yeah, I, I would recommend that you go to a child and adolescent psychiatrist because for your diagnosis, it doesn't matter that you're an adult. They also have training in adult psychiatry, but they are the ones that are best equipped to make the actual diagnosis. Most okay. of us. That's great information because yeah. I was just going to say that. I mean, you know, no. if you're listening to this and you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s and your husband walks in the door and they and, and you say, oh, my gosh, I, I got I think I have ADHD. I don't want people just, you know, you know, realizing or thinking that right out right out of the gate or whatever. But you, you just gave great information right there. And that's the resource people need to go to find out more. To a child and adolescent psychiatrist. You know, the truth is there are many, many women who have self-identified yeah, ADHD. Okay. A lot of people have self explain that a little bit. Explain that well, a little bit. Here, here's what I mean. I think it can start with, um, you know, as I said before, a lot of people refer to themselves as ADD. Um, oh, I'm so ADD, or they they use it as, in some cases, as an excuse, and in other cases, as an explanation. Um, Do you take insult to that if somebody says to you, "I made," you know, you're sitting in a group of women, and oh, it's my ADD, and they don't really have ADD. HD. I mean, is that insulting to you? No, it, it depends. It depends on the relationship. But what I yeah. will, I, I won't call somebody out in front of others because right. that that's just too challenging. But after the fact, I'll probably pull them aside and say, hey, I noticed that you mentioned ADD. It's something I happen to know a lot about. Were you just kind of saying that anecdotally or do you actually think that you might qualify for the diagnosis? And if that's the case, I, I might, you know, give them some direction. But yeah. I think a, a lot of people sort of use it in an offhanded way. And, you know, you asked me about what the reaction I got from people was. You might be surprised. I I had gone to a child psychiatrist and she's someone that I knew because we both practiced in the same community. Mm. We shared, she, we shared patients. I referred to her, she referred to me. And when I asked if she would make, you know, she would rule out the diagnosis, she said, oh, I thought you already were diagnosed. Like to her, it was obvious. Really? And other people said, when I said, you know, as it turns out, I'm ADHD. I had one or two people say, duh, <laughs> but other people said, no, there's no way you're too successful yeah. or no, there's no way you, you're not a hot mess. You always look put together. You always get so much done. And it's like, there's so much, when I say yeah. ignorance, I don't mean that to be offensive. It's just right. that people just don't know. And so I literally made it my specialty in my business 
to work with high-functioning women with a, a diagnosis of ADHD or even self-identified later in life because mm-hmm. we, we may be the fastest growing group, but we are also the most misunderstood. And so mm-hmm. to me, it doesn't matter if a woman has an official diagnosis or not. What matters is that she understands what it actually means to be ADHD. It is not a character defect. It is a neurobiological brain-based difference. It's literally like you have a different operating system. You're a Mac and other people are PC and you actually need to live your life and organize your home and you know schedule your time and even take care of yourself a little bit different than the average person if you want to function in an optimal way. And most people have no idea, and frankly, most therapists don't either. Yeah, boy, that is incredible. Wow, you just have to take a minute and really think about that. And it is, it's coming up with strategies that, you know, to just to to go through life. I mean, that's, that's really, that's really amazing. How did it kind of, how did you have to redefine your life as a mom? Hmm. Well, my kids were some of the first people that I talked to. And on the subject of motherhood and ADHD, most middle-aged women who suspect or find out their ADHD find out when one or more of their kids are diagnosed. And the reason Mm -hmm. why is that, you know, usually, like, and this happened way back in my training at UCLA, what I, I thought, why don't these parents know that there's something going on. And almost right. all, all of them, this is when I first began to suspect, this doesn't go away in adulthood. That's just what they're teaching us. It's not going anywhere. I even did my master's thesis on the possibility that ADHD persists into adulthood when I was in grad school, because this was before, wow. it was before anyone was even talking about it. And it just seemed to me when I started meeting the parents of the children I was working with, I said, well, how did you how did you identify that your son at that time, they were all sons had ADHD. They all said, well, I didn't think there was anything different about him, but I kept getting calls from the school and Mm. I thought, well, that's interesting. So what usually happens, Amy, is that a child is, is diagnosed. It could be a son or a daughter nowadays. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the parent is like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, they usually react in a negative way. They feel scared. Mm-hmm. They feel, and mm-hmm. sometimes they feel guilty because they think, oh my gosh, do they think this is because I'm not a good enough parent? Right. And, and then as they start engaging with the the team of helpers for their child, if they're doing a good job, they will ask about family history. And that's usually when the mom will oftentimes for the first time begin to consider, wait a second, do I have this and do I pass it on? Because it is genetic. Yeah. It is and genetic. That just starts this tremendous process of self-discovery. And Mm -hmm. if if I want to get one point across to anybody who's thinking, I think this is me, Mm -hmm. it's this, that there's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken and you are not alone. There are many, many, many of us out there and we're starting to find each other and we're starting to help each other and we're starting to learn that just because you're different, doesn't mean you're deficient. I hate mm, title ADHD wonderful. because it says deficit and disorder. Like that is just bad PR. I think it needs a new name. Yeah. Because yeah. different doesn't mean less than. It just means different. You have to do things differently to work with the brain you've got and stop trying 
to make the brain you've got into the one you think you're supposed to have. You have the brain you're supposed to have. You just need to learn how to work with it. Mm. Boy, that's amazing. Your story's incredible. You're, You're inspiring to listen to. How, so how is this diagnosis? I mean, how does it change the way you live? Walk me through a day in the life of Diane Wingert. Okay, such a good question. Okay, there are a few things that are different. One of them is that since I I really understand what kind of brain I have now, I do not not resist getting vigorous daily exercise. I I don't do it for my body, I do it for my brain. My body also likes it. Yeah. Yeah, and but, you weren't an athlete, you know. I mean, that's you said that earlier. You never did right. competitive sports, so no, I mean, no, this no. is not. Yeah, this isn't totally your comfort zone to get up and exercise. No, no. And honestly, I would exercise mainly for vanity, to be honest. You know, I wanted to yeah. look better, but now right. I realize that regular, vigorous exercise, preferably in the morning, hmm. help helps me get my brain game on. Another tip is that if you've ever heard of bulletproof coffee, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, caffeine is great for the ADHD brain. It is literally a chemically a chemical substance that's similar to ADHD medication. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a stimulant, right? And yeah, ADHD sure. medication is a stimulant. It's so funny because people say, well, you're hyper. Why do you need a stimulant? Actually, we're hyper because our brain doesn't make enough of the reward chemical. So with a stimulant, it ups the production of dopamine, making it easier for us to feel rewarded by the things we do so we can persist at a task longer. So bulletproof, um, oh, bullet, wow. yeah, bullet, bulletproof coffee gives you the caffeine and a dose of healthy fats, which is also good for the brain. I have to structure my life in a way that I take advantage of my circadian rhythms. I know what time I, I know what time I need to go to bed. I know how much sleep I need. I know what time I need to get up, when I need to exercise. I know how long I can expect myself to be able to focus at a creative task, an administrative task, a task that I frankly really hate. And I mm-hmm. stru- I structure those around the times of day when I can work optimally. I know how long I can work without needing a break. I know how much time I need to spend in nature. All of those things, it may sound like, oh my God, her life yeah. sounds so boring. <laughs> I assure you, it's not. I, it's not. This is the best time of life for a woman, I believe, the years after 50. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and because of that, I want to make the most of it. I feel like my kids are grown and flown. My husband is relatively self-sufficient for a man. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I want to make the most of this stage of my life. I have big goals, big plans, big dreams, and I need to optimize my life so I can get there. So I get a lot of exercise. Um, I try to eat healthy because a lot of women with ADHD have eating disorders because of the dopamine issue. I won't get into that, but it's a thing. And And I need to take lots of time alone to just let my brain be creative. I have big whiteboard, lots of sticky yeah. notes, I'm constantly creating new things in my head. And I, I actually structure time for that as a priority. Wow, that's awesome. But that's I get really- up crazy early. If, if yeah. anyone's thinking, I can do this. I get up at 4.45. Do you really, every day? I do, because the classes I really like to take at the gym are at 5.30. Sure. And 
there's something about walking out of the gym at 6.30 when it's still dark that just makes me feel like a rock star. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do the early thing, too. I love that. Mm-hmm. So so where do you see yourself? So we're, we're going to have this podcast in three years, and I'm sitting here with Diane Wingard. Where are you going to be in three years? I will have at least one published book. All right. That's awesome. My, my podcast will be widely listened to, shared, yes. and enjoyed. Perfect. I will be speaking on stages for money instead of for free, which I've done awesome. quite a bit of in my life. And I will continue to expand my world travels with my husband, who is also now working remotely from home. So when he gets invited to give a talk in Berlin, I can tag along and run my business from there. It's yep. the number one, number one reason why I left therapy and got yeah. certified as a master level coach, because I wanted my business to be portable. And frankly, I wanted to stop being constrained by all the rules and regulations of being um, governed by the state so that I can bring all of me to what I do, including my occasional potty mouth. Uh, There you go. Hey, that's part of you. I love it. I love it. That's so much in line with what I talk about every week. And it's not looking back. It's living forward. And that's what it's about. I think that's, I I mean, you're going to go well beyond that. I'm sure you'll have many books published in three years. Um. I know I'm going to have on my website and link to the podcast, everything, all of your details, because I know that just you talking to me, but reaching all of the listeners out there, I'm sure that you have made an imprint on many people's hearts. So people can reach you no matter where they live, right, in the country, in the world. Absolutely. And you're there as a resource. You offer coaching and all sorts of great things, which is fabulous. I'm actually also starting an online course because I know there will be people who don't have the means for private coaching or just want to DIY it, and I want to be yeah. able to get this information to them too. Oh, that's perfect. So I'll have all of that linked and a short bio on you. One thing I do at the end of every show is ask my guests to leave us with some words of wisdom. So this is something I want you to think about. You know, we're, we all multitask as women. I mean, we do it all the time. And I feel like our attention spans are shorter. Um, we can have feelings of being impulsive and hyperactive and all of that. But the biggest thing we have are these feelings of not being enough. What would be your advice for women to get over that? You know, look at your journey and how far you've come and how you're still learning. How, what advice would you give to women? Well, it may have been said before, but I think... Women like me struggle with both thinking we're not enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm not, I don't, my memory's not good enough. I, you know, but we also struggle with thoughts that we're too much. I'm too Mm -hmm. loud. I'm too hyperactive. I'm too disorganized. So I like to think it's sort of like the Goldilocks effect. You're Mm -hmm. not too little. You're not too much. You're just right. Uh And I love that. You can actually train your brain to put that thought on default mode, and it's a game changer. So I recommend you just literally start training yourself to think, I am just right, and I'm right where I'm supposed to be right now. I'm not behind. It's not too late. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I'm enough. Mm, That's perfect. That's brilliant. I think that's the name of your next book. I love it. Just (laughs) enough. Perfect. Diane, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to having you back because I want to get a little bit more into menopause and uh, 
And I also will link your podcast. I know you're going to be launching that and people are going to want to be listening. So thanks so much for your time. Well, I loved talking to you and I'm happy to come back whenever you like. Sounds great. Have a wonderful day. Same here. Thanks so much for tuning into the episode today. I hope that Diane really left you with some things to think about. You know, when you think about ADHD and you think about anxiety and you think about all of the things that women encounter as they go through menopause and beyond postmenopause, there's so many resources available and it's just all about opening the dialogue and taking that first step. So thanks again, and I encourage you, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on Fearlessly Facing 50, something I would really appreciate you taking time to do is just write a review. You can go right into Apple if you listen to uh, you know the podcast through Apple or iTunes. You can go there and leave a review. You can leave a review anywhere, but I would so appreciate it because that way it keeps it in the queue for other people to listen to. There's so much noise out there and so much traffic with podcasts. I would appreciate you taking the time. So once again, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, and let's make 2020 our best year yet. <music>